Well, good morning. It's, um, it's great to see you. I missed you. And my name is Carlos, and uh, so grateful to be here with you once more, especially as we, man, go back into this series. Hi, I'm your inner world. So what do you do in the midst of unfathomable pain? Right, what do you do when the suffering that you have witnessed, the pain that you have seen, seems unexplainable? In 1994, um, Rwanda was considered to be one of the quote-unquote best evangelized countries uh, in Africa. But if you remember what happened from April to July, in a period of 100 days, there were about 800,000 people that were slaughtered in a massive genocide that was orchestrated by the political elites of a certain ethnic group in the country. And here's what was crazy. It's, there were accounts of neighbors killing neighbors. There were accounts of Christians who had been baptized, pastors who had been killing other people I mean, killing other people in, in the region. How do you deal with that kind of suffering in the world? Because often there, is, there are no words, there's only silence and tears. One of the ways we deal with that kind of pain in Scripture is that we process our suffering through the discipline of lament. This spiritual practice of lament where we point our cries, our grief to, to God in the midst of our suffering. Lament is simply this, it's pointing our pain to God through prayer. Pointing our pain to God through prayer. A biblical lament doesn't solve the circumstances in your life. It doesn't always give you a silver lining. It doesn't trivialize your pain. It just gives you those words that, that gives a voice to your emotions. And today we're going to take a look at this lament from King David. And here's my hope. My hope today is that you would continue to grow, that we would continue to grow in the spiritual practice of lament. And not only that, maybe you're here and you're just kind of checking out church. And you're here because you wonder what it's like to have a relationship with Jesus. And my hope today is that you'll see that the Christian faith, um, it doesn't trivialize our emotions or our pain. In fact, the Christian faith has a lot of resources and tools that encourage us to understand who we are, our emotions. And my hope is that in doing that, you'll see the hope that we have in Christ. So if you have a Bible, I want to encourage you to turn it to Psalm 13. And you could just keep your hand there. We're going to be taking a look at this psalm just from top to bottom. In the title of this psalm, if you have a Bible, or you'll see that there is an inscription there. And it says, To the choir master, a psalm of David. Which I think it's so interesting. Uh, especially we skip over those parts generally in Scripture. I certainly do. But before we get into this verse, I want to point out an important aspect of the songs in the Psalter. These songs 
And these prayers, they're not only individual, but they're collective. There is this communal honesty. There is these mutual cries, both of joy, right, and pain. And the predominance of these psalms in, uh, of these songs in the psalms, they show you that they weren't unusual in the Hebrew community. You know what that means? That today, just like we're singing about raising a hallelujah in the middle of a storm, and that we're also singing about the goodness of God, it means that there are people today, this is what happens in church, there are people here today who may be experiencing an incredible joy because they're holding their firstborn son or daughter. And at the same time, in the same room, there are people experiencing incredible amounts of pain because they just found out they had cancer. This is what happens in the midst of an assembly. And there is this cry of solidarity with one another. That when you're in pain, you actually sing for joy. And where people are joyful, they sing with those who are in pain. It's what Paul talks about in Romans 12. He says that we rejoice with those who rejoice and we weep with those who weep. What does that mean? It means that, number one, we need to create space to lament in our life. We need to create space to point our pain to God through prayer. When's the last time you did that in your life? Did you know that over a third of the Psalms, one of the largest books in the entire Bible, are actually laments? There are these cries of pain. But isn't it hard to create that space in our culture, man? Isn't it hard to create that space in our life today? Because we're addicted to speed. And I'm not just talking about the drug. We're addicted to moving fast and to solving things. I love what the poet Emily Dickinson once wrote. She said that pain is often missed in the praise. You see, sometimes if that's us and we try to silver line everything with praise, then it means that we silence the cries of those who are often hurting. And we sometimes spiritualize those cries, and sometimes we even, we even demonize people who come to church and say, man, I'm, I'm, I'm in pain. I'm, here's what I'm suffering with. And sometimes you want to like say, well, yeah, but God. It's like, no, listen, you don't have to do that all the time. You can just stay in that place. God is okay with you doing that. I remember... Um, there was a time in our life when <clears throat> we were in a community of faith that didn't understand what we were going through. Right after we adopted our first child, Maya, Maya Rose, some of you have met her. Right after we adopted her, I remember that somebody who was a leader in the church came to my wife. And she said to her, you know, um, I'm so glad that you finally have your kid because we were tired of seeing you cry all the time. Sometimes we don't understand how to deal with this kind of pain. Even in a community of faith, we don't understand how to walk with other people in the midst of suffering. And maybe that's happened to you today, where you came to church and you kind of heard the same old story from somebody else. Somebody told you, man, you know what, I'm struggling with this issue. I'm still single, or this happened, etc. And you're like, okay, cool, you know. And it feels like, as one of my friends wrote, I remember, it feels like sometimes your tears have an expiration date. 
Here's what the psalmist says. He says, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Right? The question is a complaint to God. And we don't know exactly when David wrote this. He could have written it in multiple occasions. He, he could have written, if you know about the life of David, he could have asked himself, you know what, God, how long will I have to run away from Saul? You promised, the, you promised me that I would become king. How long until that happens? Or maybe David said, you know what, how long until you deliver me from, from this lust that I have in my heart? Why? You see David in his life, sleeping with Bathsheba, killing her husband. How long, God, until I become a good father? His son Absalom tried to kill him as well later in life. How long is the question about time? It's a question about the time it takes for God to answer our prayers. It's a question about the time it takes from God to respond and to deliver you from a certain situation. There's an Old Testament scholar by the name of Klaus Westermann, and he writes this. He says, time itself becomes a destructive force, wearing down a man's ability to hold out, intensifying the suffering to an inhuman level. It's that gap between the sickness and the healing. Do you understand that? Have you been in that place? Maybe that's why you're crying out to the Lord today. How long? How long until you deliver me from this apathy? How long until I experience this joy that I've been talking about or that I once had in my relationship with you? I can think about my father who's here today. And he struggled, you know, with rheumatoid arthritis for over 25 years. Waking up, taking this heavy medication over all of these years, decades now. I can think um, of him I can think of the times that we've prayed for him, that we've anointed him with oil. I can think to all of the conferences that we've been. I can think of all of that and still see him now today struggling with that pain. And I can see him saying, how long, oh Lord? How long? That prolonged pain, it can lead us to that place where we feel like God has abandoned us. And so he says, how long will you hide your face from me? And that's a dramatic image because, um, you know, if you've ever babysat somebody or if you're a parent, then you know that when, you're, um, when you keep your eyes on a child, that seeing, it implies acting, right? When you, when, you, when you take away your face from somebody, it implies not only that you're not just looking at them, now you've forgotten about them. And that's what David is saying here. And it's so interesting because, you see, um, in the Old Testament, we discover that God is El Roy. He is the God who sees. There's a famous, uh, there's actually a famous scripture that is quoted in many ceremonies, Christian and non-Christian. It's from Numbers chapter 6. It says this, the Lord bless you and keep you, and the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. You see, God's face on you implies his favor. And so when David says, you know what, how long will you hide your face from me? He's talking about, man, how long are you going to keep this favor from me? You've abandoned 
me? Why are you withholding these blessings from me? How long is this going to last? We're struggling in the same area in our marriage the entire time now for years. How long is this going to last? God, I started this business. And I thought you were calling me to do this. And I thought you were calling me uh, to study. How long am I, am I going to see this struggle to be able to even make a little bit of money? I just, I just want to be faithful, God. How long? How long must I take counsel in my soul, David writes, and have sorrow in my heart all the day? Right? In these moments when we're experiencing pain, um, we can really get in our heads, can't we? We can spiral down and we can replay uh, those failures over and over. Instead of looking at counsel from somebody else, we're just, we're just kind of in our own heads all the time. I'm turning to myself. I can't control my emotions. I'm uh, depressed. I have, I have sorrow in my heart all the day. And, and not only that, God, look at what's happening to those people over there. Right? He says, how long shall my enemy be exalted over me? God, I thought I was the chosen one. Look at my enemies. They, they're triumphing over me. Did you notice that honesty with which David speaks to God? You see, when we lament, when we point our pain to God in prayer, that, that tool, right? It means that we have permission to be honest with God. We have permission to be honest with Jesus about our emotions. You know that, right? We learned that last week. Honesty is not the same thing as heresy. Honesty is not the same thing as heresy. Transparency is not the same thing as transgression. There's a difference though, right? Maybe you grew up in the church and you were taught that you never question God because what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to trust him at all times. So how do you reconcile that with laments? Well, this complaint, this lament, it actually signals that you're trusting God. You have nowhere else to turn. You're talking to Jesus. You're talking to the Father. You're being honest before him because like Peter said to Christ one time, he said, man, to who, where else shall we go? To who else shall we go except to you? This is what happens when we're honest before God. And here's the key. When you're, when you're doing this with the Lord, there's a difference in, in your motive. The Pharisees, they questioned Jesus in the New Testament because they, they wanted to validate their own agenda. But when other people in the New Testament or Old Testament question the Lord, it's because they want to understand. They want to they want to remember who God is and what he has done, right? Being honest with somebody doesn't mean that we have to insult them. Right? You can be honest before the Lord. He has given you permission to do that. And in the midst of his lament, look, check out what happens, man. It, it, it goes from, God, why won't you hear me? To, God, help me. It goes from this complaint to this realization that I don't have anybody else to go to but you. Nobody else can deliver me from this. And so he says in verse 3, consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. 
Lest my enemies say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. David says, O Lord, my God, my God. He's not just some impersonal force out there in the universe. He's personal. God is his God. You see the intimacy that's here? See, honesty leads to intimacy. Honesty leads to intimacy. You want to have an intimate relationship with the Lord, then you got to talk to him. You don't, have to, you, don't, you don't have to hide your language by saying things like, blessed be your father. You, know, like, like you can bless the Lord. You can honor him. You can revere him. And you can be honest with him. Because guess what? He already knows what's going on inside of your heart anyways. He knows you better than you know yourself. Intimacy with a person has nothing, it has to do with knowing them at that deepest level, knowing how they feel, knowing their struggles, knowing their talents. If you want to develop that intimacy with God, listen, man, you got you to just talk to him. When's the last time you've talked to God about how you feel? How do you feel? I feel apathy. I feel sad. We teach our girls, <laughs> we teach our girls you can experience two emotions at the same time. You can be happy and sad at the same time. I wish we as adults understood that. <laughs> I wish we would remember that when we talk to God. That we can come to church and we can experience both joy and pain. Light up my eyes, David says, in, in the midst of that. It's like, God, I, I need you to fill me with hope. I need you to fill me with life because I'm struck down in these depths of grief and despair and, and death. And my enemy, look at him. He's winning. He's winning, God. And, and, and maybe he's going to mock us, right? He's talking about God's reputation in this psalm. Maybe, maybe God, he's going to say, well, I guess your God's not going to really deliver you from that situation. Isn't that sometimes what we hear from our friends are from the world. If you're struggling, and if you're going through something really difficult, maybe you hear the, well, I, I guess, I guess maybe, maybe Jesus isn't really working out for you. Maybe this church thing, it, it's just not really working for you. And so David directs this pain to God and appeals to his reputation. Man, God. Look at what my enemies are doing. I, I, need you to, I, I need you to act here because I care about your glory. Save me from these circumstances so that people will mock you. And in the midst of all of this, of this complaint and then this request for help, then suddenly something shifts in the song. And David almost like zooms back and realizes that even in the midst of this pain, there is hope. Because as you'll see, we can find hope in the midst of our lament. Look at what David says. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. God, I'm going to give you my praise. Because you've given me more than I could ever imagine. God, somewhere in this experience... And in the midst of his lament, he considers the grace of God, right? Like he, he goes from focusing on the immediate to looking at the eternal, 
looking at what he's done. You know what? David was just a little shepherd boy. Maybe he considers that. And now he's the king. His father didn't even believe in him. But he has a spiritual father who entrusted him with the whole nation. This is, this is David looking at, at the steadfast love of the Lord. It's like thinking in that moment of pain. It's thinking, God, you know what? In the midst of everything, you have believed in me. You have entrusted me. You've liberated me. And because you've been faithful in the past, even though I can't see it, God, I'm going to trust you with my future. What I love about this lament the most is that it really does help to express the complexity of our faith. Martin Luther, um, he was a, a famous pastor and theologian. He said this about this specific prayer. He says that it was a state in which hope despairs and despairs hope at the same time. That there's something about the psalm that gets at the heart and the mystery of our faith. It expresses the reality of our experience. I love how James Mays puts it. He says this, agony and adoration hung together by a cry for life. This is the truth about us as a people of faith. Haven't you felt that? Both at the same time, some live under that illusion that me, that having great faith means that you never have any doubts, that you never have questions about God. But the witness of the Psalms, the witness of Scripture, is that it's more likely that you will experience a night in Gethsemane. It's more likely that you will be martyred for your faith. It's more likely that you will suffer with God. Isn't this what the cross shows us? Even Jesus, as we learned last week, crying out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And yet in the midst of that, right, we remember, of course, that the beginning of this psalm, how long, expresses that, that, that tension. Because that phrase, how long, has, if, has been a staple, especially in African-American preaching. Right? Martin Luther King, he used it in a famous sermon delivered in Montgomery, Alabama. Do you remember that phrase? He says, how long? Not because... Not long because no light can live forever. How long? Not long because you still reap what you sow. How long? Not long because the arm of the moral universe is long, but it bends toward justice. How long? Not long because mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. He used it in a, in a way in which this cry of pain is also used as an act of hope. And you can do that too, because that's the reality of the cross, the worst offense, to kill the Son of God, and yet the greatest sacrifice for the freedom of humanity. See, when you place your trust in Jesus, and when you exercise this discipline and this practice of lament, it doesn't mean that you stay in Psalm 13. It doesn't mean that you stay in Psalm 88 forever. Because something else happened after Psalm 13. I'm going to close with this. Um, anybody ever seen the movie The Sixth Sense? Yes? 
Yes. Okay. For those of you who haven't seen that movie, I'm going to ruin it for you. <laughs> and you may have heard us. You may have heard this illustration in the past, but I'm going to tell it like it's mine, and you can have it when I'm done. The Sixth Sense is this movie that has this, um, it's a suspense movie, where you have this um, kid, and his name is uh, Cole Sear. And he has this famous phrase in the movie, he says, I see dead people. You seen this? You remember that? And in the whole movie, listen, there's this other, um, there's a psychologist, um, and, and Bruce Willis plays the psychologist who essentially tries to counsel this boy the entire time. He thinks, he thinks the boy is delusional. How can it be possible that Cole speaks to dead people? And through the entire movie, essentially, Cole is trying to prove to the psychologist, listen, I really do see dead people. And of course, at the end, there's a shocking twist. Bruce Willis <laughs> finds out that he's been dead the entire time. <laughs> He's the one that is a ghost. And finally, because of that, he's able to move forward. Now watch this. Once you, once you watch and see that movie, The Sixth Sense, you cannot unsee it. If you watch it again, the whole time you're like, dude, this dude is dead. This, I mean, it's like it changes the whole field. You, you can't unsee the movie anymore. When you read Psalm 13, you already know that Jesus Christ lives. When you read Psalm 13 and in the middle of your pain, when you're hanging on to life just with your nails, you already know that Jesus Christ hung on that cross for you, that he delivered you from sin and death. And at this moment, even if I don't understand it, truly, in light of eternity, this is a light and momentary affliction. You know in this moment that there's something coming at the end that is going to be the greatest thing that you have ever experienced. Unending joy. And no more tears will be wept. And no more suffering will happen. And no more injustice will rule. Because Jesus Christ will finally and fully and forever redeem his people. And rule over everything. And so listen. Uh, praise God, man. So listen, I want to encourage you uh, today. If you've never practiced lament... And listen, I've been thinking about lament for like the past five years. And I still don't get it all the way. <laughs> because we really are shaped by our context. We're shaped by our circumstances, you know. I want to encourage you to put it into practice. And we're going to begin uh, to do that now in just a moment. And here's what I want to encourage you to do. To commit to. I want to encourage you to do two things. If you've never practiced lamenting before the Lord, one, I want to encourage you to get quiet before Him. I want to encourage you to start maybe a couple of times a week. You should, this will be great every day, but if you can pick a couple of days this week just to be quiet before Him for two minutes, just to be silent before Him and tell Him, God, I'm listening. Help me to know you. Search my inner world. One, 
So be silent before him. And the other thing I want to encourage you to do, and maybe you can do this once a week or you can do this once a month. Why don't you just write down what you feel and tell God about it? It sounds so simple, right? But when's the last time you ever did that? Just write down what you feel and tell him, God, I'm, I'm sad. I'm looking at what's happening in our society around the world, and I'm struck with grief. God, I'm, I'm looking at what's happening in my family, and I'm exhausted. And in the midst of that, here's what happens. What happens is, even though we don't realize it, it's like God is right there, and we feel this distance from him. And when we lament, you know what we're doing? We're walking closer to him. And we're saying, how long, O oh Lord, will this last forever? How long? And we keep talking to him and expressing our emotions until at some point we feel his embrace. I want to encourage you to do that. And I want to I be able to do that with us today, this morning. Why don't we pray and let's go to God. Help us this morning, Lord, to be honest before you. God, I pray you shine a light in our hearts, even in the midst of this silence, Lord. Help us to know how we feel and help us to express that right now. Fill our hearts, Lord, with your light, your love, and help us to trust in you as we walk in this journey with Jesus, Lord. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.